Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. And hello to anyone who is listening to this uh, asynchronously on the Temple Beth Am podcast. Here we are. Uh, chapter 7, we finished the Rashi on verse 14. I wanted to remind us of the Rashi and then look at the Sforno with you before we look at the next verse. So to remind us, chapter 7, verse 14, uh, which is, Vayomer Adonai al Moshe, God said to Moshe, Kaved Lev Paro, the absence of the dot, the dagesh in the vet of Kaved means it's not an imperative, meaning harden uh, Pharaoh's heart, but rather uh, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He's refusing to send the people. Rashi says, read kaved as kind of a, a stative verb, it's not saying that it has now, as a result of what just happened, been hardened, but rather it is hard. Just so you know, Moses, he's got a hard heart. So it's not describing an action, and he basically corrects the unculus, the translation into Aramaic. Um, and as we saw, some of the translations of Unculus that are brought forward into the modern era reflect Rashi's correction, which is either Rashi was correct or it's kind of chutzpah to Unculus, that Rashi said a thousand years later, Unculus got a few letters wrong, and everyone said, oh, Rashi must be right, so Unculus must be wrong. Um, that's one interesting look at it. I wanted to show you a Sforno who disagrees with that. Um... Okay, let me share the screen. Okay, so Sforno, Italian commentator in the 15th century, on the word kaved lev paro. Can everyone see it? Okay. Af al pi shera'a hahevdel ben hamofet tem otam. This is now Sforno saying in God's voice as God was speaking to Moshe, because God is speaking to Moshe in the verse, even though Moses, shera'a, that Pharaoh saw, Havdel, the distinction, Havdalah, Bain Hamofet, Sha'asitem, Otam, between the amazing wonder that you did for them, which was what? To turn the rod into a snake and then maybe even to turn the snake back into a rod and then consume their rods, Uvein Hakshafim, and between that and the deeds of the magicians, which we saw was sort of sleight of handy, maybe it was never actually converted into a snake, maybe it was a rubber snake, even though he is recognizing that what I had you do in front of them is demonstrably different than what he did, and then there's kind of an applied ellipsis, dot, 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 it's still the case that Kaveh Leif Paro, meaning Sforno saying the impact of the verse is directly in relationship to the previous scene, right? It's his voice, his his heart is remaining remaining hard. Here comes Norm. His, vo his uh, heart is remaining hard, despite what he just saw, or maybe it's even hardened more based on what he just saw. And Rashi says, in some ways, not quite the opposite, but sort of perpendicular. This is a, a, a generalized description of Pharaoh's heart. It is a hard heart, not in response to what happened. It's just how he is. Okay? So I wanted to, since we spent so much time on Rashi last week, I wanted to show you a different way of looking at that word. Anyone else? Okay. Yes, Sue, gets uh, microphone. It, it just seems odd to me that that's where Sforno picks up his comment. It's almost like he could, put, could have put it anywhere because it doesn't, it, it doesn't really, 
It doesn't entirely relate to Kabed. It's more like, well... Yeah, I, 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 I think... It seems wise. I think sometimes reads Forno's comment as a full sentence, including the words quoted from the Torah. His heart is hard, despite the fact that there's plenty of evidence for why his heart should have been softened, because he's now realizing he's inferior to you, right? So it's it's almost like sometimes the Diboreha Machil, the words quoted from the verse, are like these words in quote, and then there's commentary on it. And sometimes the commentaries like use the words from the verse fluidly in the commentary. And I think Sforno here is 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 assuming that you're going to read through, including the Dibur HaMarchil. Okay, um, great. Let's go to verse uh, 15. Um, really interesting. Can I ask a question about 14 before we go? Yeah, sorry, I didn't see your hand. Go ahead. I just put it up. Can you, um, a second, Rick. Can everyone hear Rick? Eh? Can we make him a little bit louder? Thanks, Hector. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So... Um, it just <clears throat> it just hit me that this time they didn't ask for the people to be let go. They just came up to Pharaoh in, in the court and then they started doing the tricks. So um, it's it's kind of um, it's kind of strange, is it not that um, they didn't ask? It was the time before that they said, let my people go. Not this time. Not yet. Right. It's happened and it will happen, but in this mini scene within a scene, it's just my snake is is uh, more vicious than yours. Correct. Now, soon, and, and, and by soon, I mean now, it's going to get back to that. But you're right that there's like a little mini scene where there doesn't seem to be a recapitulation of the main demand of let my people go so they can worship me in the desert. There's just a let's let's sword fight. Yeah, there's no greeting or, or anything. They just come in, right? Verse... Um... This scene yep. starts uh, verse eight, nine. Yep. No, yep. no, no, no. Verse ten. It starts. Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh. I mean, first of all, it's weird that they were just be let in again. They just had a anyway. But it, go ahead, go ahead. You sure now? Okay. Joe, you said the same thing. Like microphone, Carol. Can you give me the microphone? Before I forget, because I forget every week, Hector, is there a chance in the future to get two other mics in this room, or do we not have enough in the building? Not right now, but in, in, in future weeks? Thanks, just because it's easier. Thank you, Hector. I made a comment at the end of last week's session, and my answer was that in verse 10, where it says, uh, it's saying Moses and Aaron did everything that, uh -huh. that God said, and when they got to the point of Vaishlach Aharon, nice. then that's when it takes over. God, thanks for reminding us of that. I've forgotten that, Joel. Great. So that's where they said it again? That, that's where they Yeah, according Yoel. to Joel. Okay. Perush Yoel. Yes. From from the I don't know if we've had it yet. Is this the first hardening? Is this the first Kavid that we had? Here? Uh no. Is that um, already? Because I, I would just I was just struck by it's the same kaved, it's the same, it's the same as kaved at avicha uh, ve'etimecha, and it, it's and I'm sort of sitting here thinking how does it, 
you know, does, does that relate to each other? That kabit, because it's spelled the same. It's yeah. not missing anything. There's no nekudot in the Torah anyway. Yeah. Um, and how how could that how could that relate in meaning? It's, yeah. It's it's, it's a great root that has some tethers connecting it to all the English uh, words that come that that are, that relate to those ideas, and some different. So it means heavy. It can mean hard. It can mean honor, kavod. Uh, it can mean have respect for. Now, it's we also again this is this is word problems, but we also think as honor as a heavy thing, right? Like, and when you're when you wear like a, when you wear an honor, when you wear metal, like it 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 weighs you down, and it's supposed to be a heavy thing and a light thing. But not all of the ways in which the words that are that the concepts divorced from a particular language that are that are connected to kaf bay Kaf bet dalid in ancient Hebrew work in modern English, but many of them do. Right now, the whether or not it's also the case that the Torah wanted us to be sort of visually reminded when we get to kabed davicha v'etam imecha that that's the same. The thing that you're being asked to do towards your parents is the very thing that described Pharaoh's obstinacy. Sometimes words are just words. Or maybe there's some linkage there that um, uh, that is worthy of midrashic exploration, right? It is like sometimes a word appears in two different contexts, and it's just because that's the right word for that that was chosen for that context. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to draw a tunnel between them, but it doesn't mean we can't either. And, and they're both laden. I mean, those are those are you know those are laden words. Like we're gonna we're gonna. You know, to honor your parent, your father and your mother, and we use honor, and maybe it's not honor, maybe it is something different or, you know, heavy, maybe it's awe, maybe it's look at your parents like they're Pharaoh, maybe it's, I, there is, there, there really could be connection there. Yeah. Um, and, but it's not like a little word, it's, that's a word word, yeah. you know, it has a lot of weight to it. <laughs> Uh, while we're at it, I'll, I'll show you BDB on the root. Right, so kaved, to be heavy, to be weighty, to be burdensome and honored. He, he just puts them all in, it's, it's one word, right? He doesn't say there's this kaved and there's that kaved in the different roots. It's just one thing, right? The sense of honoring some thing or someone can be burdensome yeah for the for the honoree or the honorer right or it 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 should be it should be um it should be a, a thing of significance right it's not a thing the opposite of kaveda is kal right it, it's not it's not a nothing to honor nor is it a nothing um to be burdened uh renee's hand well in everett fox and you may have done this already i don't know the, there's a footnote that says in the play narrative, the root kaved heavy occurs 10 times, five times referring to Pharaoh's heart and five times referring to the plagues themselves. Mm. And that the later are, are perhaps seen as the direct outcomes of the former. That the kaved leads to the kaved. Yeah. Joel? Yeah, there is, it says elsewhere that a possible interpretation. You said kal is the opposite of kaved. The opposite of lichvod is lekalel. 
Mm. Right. To curse somebody is to take them lightly. Great. To honor them is to give them heft. Terrific. Thank you for that. Rosemary, let's get give her the microphone. Microphone. One second. One second. I know, but one, but it's a one word that everyone should hear. No, the translation I have it's stubborn. Yes, <laughs> the, the, there's no good one way to translate any of these words, particularly because what's happening to Pharaoh's heart has been being rendered throughout this story in two different roots, chazak and kaved. So chazak, hard, kaved. I don't know what the best one word translation of it is, but hardened or stubborn or unmoved. Yeah? And, and English has lots of synonyms for that. Okay, let's root, 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 eh, let's read verse 15 um, so we can move forward. Carol, do you want to read verse 15, Lecha Paro? Lech el paro baboker, hine yotze hamaima, benitzavta likrato, asfat hayaor, behamate asher nehefach lenachash tikach viadecha. Go, go to Pharaoh in the morning. Behold, he is going uh, to the water. Nitzavta, um, I don't know. Atem nitzavim, you are all state presenting yourselves uh, uh, right, right here. That's from Parshat Nitzavim. The root is Yud Tzadi Bet, which means to be sturdy or to be present, to be very, very present. So. Minitzavta, kind of present yourself in order to uh, present yourself uh, towards him, mm -hmm. or to um, or to greet him, to greet him on the um, uh, the shore of the river, um, and the staff that had been turned into a snake, good. a serpent, you will take in your hand. Okay, good. Right. So going back to the points that Joel and Rick had made before. So after the mini scene of just snakes, now Pharaoh is about to be uh, uh, met again by Moses. This is in this in a singular in this verse. So it's not Moses, Aaron, but Moses for uh, a truer encounter where the message of sending the Israelites free is going to be repeated. Uh, what stands out to you in the verse? What words or phrases seem interesting, extraneous, missing? What would you ask if you were a Parshan in this verse? Yes, Joel. <laughs> just the order it's it, you would you would think that you would take the staff first and then go so did he leave the staff and then he's supposed to go there and pick it up i don't know <laughs> the sounds like seems like a oh and by the way don't forget don't forget this this staff as opposed to right so why is that at the end great larry and then Stevie, sorry. Well, a couple of things. One is in verse 13, we left off the day before in this encounter, presumably at the palace. Mm -hmm. Then verse 14, we don't, is sorry, hanging there. Was that after the palace later on that night? Or is that this morning? Is that, or is that something that, or, or is all this taking place last night after the events of the palace and it's the instruction from um from god to to, to moses hmm. um so the, the time stamp of some of these verses is ambiguous it's hard to know how much time if any has passed in between them right because you said the, the day before as if that 
you're kind of surmising that because there's no day before. Could have been a month ago. Right. 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 Could have been the same day. It could be. Right. It could be the same. The events that we discussed before took place on some day. And then at some point following those events, God says to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. Maybe he gave him a chance. Maybe it was a month. You're right. Right. Or or maybe there was no time. Maybe there was no time. And so now he's telling him tomorrow morning, the next morning, doesn't even say tomorrow morning, but we assume it's presumably the next morning. So that would suggest to me it was the evening of the night before or following the events over there. And then he says the, the, the word is hine, which normally is behold. But here I think simply means God is telling Moses that <clears throat> Pharaoh goes out to the water. Uh-huh. And I already know because I looked ahead. Peter. There are 27 different explanations and they're At all least. really interesting. Right. Yes. They're all really interesting. So I'm sure we're going to get to that in, in a minute. Um, and it doesn't say so, but it appears that Moses is going to be all alone. He doesn't say take Aaron. And the implication is, and again, I cheated. I read, read some of the commentaries before. Pharaoh's all alone. Hmm. So God wants to set up this one-on-one encounter between Moses and, and Pharaoh. Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't really thought so much about the one-on-oneness of it, um, that this encounter is taking place outside the palace. Um, but a, as you said, a lot of people are, are curious about why the why it's the case that Pharaoh comes out in the morning to the Nile and why we're being told that, right? Because we always have to ask that question on two levels, right? What, what's, why is it actually happening in the story? And why is it significant for the Torah to report that it's happening, right? And we'll, we'll read Rashi and maybe a few others, and they are really wild and interesting. Stevie, then I see Barbara. Yeah, just that the, before we've had staffs referred to as Mate Elohim or Mate Aaron, it, like the fact that this is the staff that was the snake is like taking over its identity is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, right. It's, 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 it's more than it's, that it's yours. It's the one through, through which I've already been able to show my power. Yeah. Uh, Barbara, please. And then Rick. Actually, that was what just interested me was the fact that it was the rod that had turned into a snake, which implies that other rods couldn't have turned into a snake that somehow he Aaron, Moses and Aaron had picked out the one that God meant for them to pick out, the only one that could turn into a snake. Yeah, it was made by Ollivander. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? Thank you. Uh, Rick. Hi. Uh, two things. One, here it's called Nachash before it was a Tanim or Taninim. Uh, right. 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 So I don't know if that means anything. I'll leave that up to you. But um, he could have the text could have described it the same way as before. So maybe there's a reason why they're going to Nachash here. The second thing about Pharaoh being alone. I mean, I don't want to disagree with Rashi and everybody else, but I don't think Pharaoh went anywhere alone. I mean, he was an emperor. He was a king. And they would always have a, a, a retinue, even somebody to clean up after he went to the bathroom in the river supposedly you know i mean you have the- what's this with everybody everybody cheating and bringing <laughs> things in before we get there this is this is a yehareg vial yahavor this is a thou shall not cross the i'm sorry i read the story before so then wait wait till we read it wait till we read it right but but your comment your comment joking aside is the very reason why rashi and others have to expand X to answer it so creatively because they can't imagine a situation in which a fair would be by himself. 
they have to construct one. But that, but so, so your question, your your question is is what's driving a lot of that material. Yeah. Okay. Renee. Also, the Pharaoh. I don't know if Rashi or anybody would say this, but the Pharaoh would do magical things with the water. The Pharaoh had power over the Nile to make it rise and to clean it, and and um, um, he could have been doing that here also, but. Then it was a whole procedure. I don't see Tova here, but she knows more about Egypt than me. But um, there was a whole process. Pharaoh did all sorts of things, like the like the king did, did different activities for the for the nation. Right. So let's get into that more deeply when we when we first read the Rashi. But first, Renee, and then uh, Carol will read the Rashi. I was also curious as to why um, Pharaoh was there by himself at the water. And also, what was he doing at the river? To begin with. Funny you should ask. <laughs> and in response to Rick's comment about the Tetanin and Nachash, that's the what is referred to in verse 10 of the Rashi. And there's a there's a footnote in my book that says that the term Tanim refers to a species of gigantic sea creatures. And Rashi explains that here it's a snake but elsewhere it's referred to as a gigantic sea creature. Right. We, so we read that Rashi on that verse that Rashi is basically saying, you reader who sees the word Tanin and you might be remembering the Tanin from Breshit, which is some like Leviathan creature. In this case, it just means Nachash. And that what Rick, Rick or forgot, someone else pointed out that, that in our verse, it's actually turned into, the, the word is rendered as Nachash, not even as a Tanin that we should understand as Nachash, but as actually a Nachash. Okay. Um, let's go to the Rashi. Um, where are we? Carol. Hine Yotse Hamaima Lin Kavav Shahaya Ose Atmo Eloha Ve Omer Sheeno Tsarich Lin Kavav U Mashkim Ve Yotse Lanilus Ve Osesham Tsrahav. Hold on one second. Okay, what is a nekev, Carol? Anyone know what a nekev well, is? Well, that's what I'd like to know. So there's a bracha that Jews say all the time that has the word nekavim, nekavim. It's the asher yatsar bracha. It's the, it's, we're, we're, we're situated very nicely right now to say that bracha, right? After we leave the restroom, asher yatsar tadam um I got I can't I say it all the time. Uvaralo nikavim nikavim chalim chalim. The God created within the person nikavim nikavim many many openings and cavities and chalalim and 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 things that things pass through, right? So the bracha that we say after we use the restroom, thanks God for the majesty of our plumbing that has things that that has passageways and openings and closings and thank you God for keeping the things that are supposed to be closed closed and thank you for keeping the things that are supposed to be open, open, right? La'asot nekavav or litzorchei nekavav is euphemism for going to the bathroom, right? To to do your openings or for the needs of your openings. And in this case, Rashi is truncating it even more, just referring to his openings, right? So he is going out to the water, lit nekavav, for his apertures. Talk about 
Talk, talk about a, a euphemistic language. Where, what's he doing? Openings. Right? Okay. Um, so, so there's the image. And then Rashi gives us a little bit more as to, what, as to what's going on here. What's the sermonica? Okay. Shahiyahu seh. Can I be mean for it? Sounds like everyone says your shit smells too, right? That's what everyone else, it's, it's like Rashi's version. Yeah. Um. It's, it, it, it's, it's close to that. It's definitely bringing a self a self-image demigod down to a very human level. So, so right. now read it in the words. Okay, so, so um, he was going for, to relieve himself for his openings. Um, uh, he had made himself a, a god or right. deity um, and, set, and said or saying that he doesn't have to relieve himself. Right, saying to whom? So I guess the world. Right. Know. He basically said, hey, subject, hey, world, I'm a god. And since I'm a god, all those things that you do, I'm above that. I, I am, I am, I am beyond mortality. I don't have those kinds of needs, and don't, and I don't want you to imagine me having to do that because that would bring me down. But of course, he did. Even the, you know, even Schneerson did it, right? Even, even, even the almost Mashiach did it. Okay, everybody does it. Okay, go ahead. And so he would get up in the morning, I guess, Mashkim, get up. Um, and go to the Nile and uh, do his needs. Right there, there, he would do his his business. Right. So, what what question or questions does this Rashi comment answer, Larry? <laughs> One, why 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 Pharaoh would be alone? Two, I think it also answers why it is that God told Moses to go greet him there. Okay, good. What's, so explain the second part out. He's put him in, an, it's in an awkward situation. Right. It's not that he's caught him out, or there could be that he's caught him out, but he's alone. He's doing something that he doesn't want to be seen. And I'll just make a comment. Nobody does, right? This is, this is not even dealing with the great and the powerful. People are embarrassed even to be seen going into the bathroom. Right? Very rarely, except in your family, with your kids, do you say, I'm going to the bathroom, which is also a euphemism. And it's really funny when you're out in the wilderness camping and people say, I'm, I'm going to the bathroom where there's no bathroom. Right. right? Or, the, or the restroom. Or the rest. Right. But the, even there's no room. If you're just going out in the woods, you right. still say, you know, or people say, my dog is going to the bathroom. You hear people say that. That's really weird. <laughs> in any case, so all this weirdness is entailed. And this gets to what I didn't read this, but what I think is Moses is going to encounter Pharaoh in a really human interaction. Yeah. Everything's stripped away. Yeah. Maybe even the clothes. Yeah. Good. There are a lot of layers to this, right? So, so Rashi and the Midrash see this as like a, a rabbit hole to dive into where there's a lot of material. We, we could just read right over this. Yeah, so he was by the river and that's where Pharaoh uh, got, Moshe met him. No, 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 no. The Torah is telling us a lot of things here. It's telling us that Pharaoh is a liar, that Pharaoh is embarrassed about being a liar, that Pharaoh knows he's very human even though he's told his people that he's not and that he has to do his things in private. And it's also telling us that that's the exact moment that God chose to send Moses to show Pharaoh who act, representing the one who does not have a nikavav, right? Moshe is representing the one who makes the nikavim that we use, but who actually has no need to sneak out to the Nile in the morning to, to, to perform these functions, right? Um, 
and and it's also it's like what's the joke that uh, about the God who gave the rabbi a hole in one as he was golfing on Yom Kippur and they right the angels say why did you reward him he's like who's 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 he gonna tell right? you can't you can't tell that you were golfing on Yom Kippur I didn't tell the joke right but 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 you get the joke so it's also whatever emasculation or or whatever encounter Pharaoh has here with Moses and God he's gonna have to hold on to himself because he can't explain to his people. You know, he can't explain himself out of it. Oh, I, when I was b- down by the water, I was just taking a walk. I was just taking a walk. All this happened, right? So there's a lot built into these words. Uh, in a second, I want to read you, um, read with you the Orah, I think Orachaim was it? Yeah, the Orachaim, which is an 18th century commentator, which expands a little bit on what Larry was, was saying connected to Rashi's comment. But anyone else around the table first? Diane? So among other things, this puts Moshe and Pharaoh on equal footing as well uh-huh yeah Be- because it's no longer king and subject but just two guys two guys right and one of the guys having a real god behind him yeah rosemary we get rosemary microphone um i see the entire thing uh, a friendly approach it's like the same people you go to court try to make your I can't hear her. We get a little closer to your microphone. Yeah. Um, I think it's the same about the same that it says before you go to court, try to make peace with your adversary. Um, God is sending Moses. Um, if we know they are like half brothers, right? So he knew what his brother was doing every day. He goes brother to brother to see. And he shows the rod to say, this is the one Right. So it's interesting, Rosemary, you're reading it almost the exact opposite, which is fine, uh, thrust, right? This, the, the reading that Rashi's leading us to is to be able to lord over the one who thinks he's a lord as much as possible. And what you're saying is meeting him on his level and maybe, you know, if, you know, if the, if the president, if, you know, if, if the president of Russia and the president of the United States just kind of go for a walk in the woods, maybe they'll be able to work things out differently than if they're doing it with their entire entourages behind them. Interesting. Uh, Elon. Given Rashi's interpretation of Pharaoh going to the river to relieve himself, is there any chance to look at this at at kind of a a Freudian way and maybe the staff isn't really a staff that that Moses takes into his hand? Yeah. Uh, Would you like to read it that way? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes sometimes a, a staff is just a snake. <laughs> I think is what they said. Uh, Rick. Uh, hi. Um, the trope also sets up the comparison. Um, there's a Gershaim on Paro in uh, 15, and then there's a Gershaim on Adonai in the next sentence. Just thought I'd uh, throw that in there. Nice. Lechel Paro is, is, is 15 and then 16. Adonai. Adonai. Yeah. Nice. Paro. Doing his things by the by the water, but Adonai being Adonai. Larry. So, so Rosemary suggests a fantastic midrash that's completely opposite of what what's here. Yeah. 
which is these are two half brothers who grew up together, who went down to the water together in their previous life. Yeah. And Moses wants to get him. God tells Moses to go get him where you can relate to him. Yeah. And he says, hey, brother, what are you doing? Yeah. And look, at Pharaoh, this, look at the staff. I've already shown you my power. Come on. Yeah. And they're having a conversation as, as half brothers. Yeah. A lot of possibilities. I want, I want to show with you the Orachayim. Orachayim, we've, we've studied him occasionally. He was a fascinating, um, fascinating commentator. He lived in Morocco and in Vienna and land of Israel. Uh, he is famous for having, you know, Rashi's comments are often like a sentence and a half. Orachayim's are more paragraphy, but in eminently digestible Hebrew as opposed to some of the medieval commentators where the Hebrew is more inscrutable. So he's clear um, and he's interesting. Um, he also has uses language that's kind of unique to his, uh, his, his style. So he will, he will begin a commentary and then he'll, he'll say, I have something else to say. And he begins with od yirtse or od yirtse, something like, and, and, and if you will, like from the word ratzon, it could also mean this. Everyone sees? Just like they, the sages of blessed memory, said in Shemot Rabbah, the pasuk on the verse from Yechezkel, Ezekiel, Li Yoori Bani Asitini, that Ezekiel imagines uh, a pharaoh saying, Li Yoori, the Nile is mine, Vaani Asitani, and I made it, right? This is now back to the Orachayim's voice. So what Rashi said. Pharaoh basically rendered himself a god. He would um, delude, or what's the better word? He would um, lie to. He would um, make to err, like to as an error, but he would, he would um, I can't think of the word. Mislead, thank you. Uh, his people, Lamar saying, Isn't it amazing? I bring things in, but I never extrude them. Right, because he's seen eaten, eating, but he's not seeing doing what eating requires you to do. Eventually, Therefore, he'd go early in the morning. Right, the way uh, you know, if you want to go use the Pacific as a mikvah, go early. Derech uh, nistar in a hidden way. Derech nistar mikolcha, hidden from every living person. oset this is another euphemism. He would do, he would, oset srachav, he would do his needs, right? Every, it'd be interesting. Most, I would think that many languages and cultures have euphemistic ways of referring to this. It's so interesting, like why that became a thing that human beings are um, sensitive about, right? You know, uh, didn't have to be that way, but it's amazing how ubiquitous it, ubiquitous it is in culture, right? Dogs are not embarrassed, and I don't think, I don't think the great apes are either, but I don't know. Uh, Therefore, this messengership come from God comes from this, this place that is sort of um, hidden from every person who is alive. The Amar Elav, Tchilat Dvarav Hashem, and you should, and he said to him the beginnings of uh, of the words of God, It's the God of the Hebrews that has um, uh, sent me to you. Um, yeah, Perush, Hodi Makom Atabo. 
So in the, it's in the next verse, right? Just peek ahead where in, and in verse 16, we'll, we'll, which we'll read slowly in a second, where God says to Moses, say to Pharaoh, it is the God of the Hebrews who sent me, or Achaim is connecting these two verses. Basically, Pharaoh is going to hear from Moses, who sent me here? The God who is everywhere showed me where exactly the place you are, which means you might be hidden from your subjects, but you know whom you're not hidden from? You know who's watching you do your needs? My God who sent me. And this is the sign, God, my God knows what you're trying to hide. You cannot hide, right? And God is watching you every time you go into the Nile and do your thing. Um, that, that's enough. So what uh, Orachim does is kind of deepen the, the psychological warfare or intrigue of why we're being told that Pharaoh is down by the water and what the significance is of Moshe meeting him there. Okay. Um, and that's, I think the only thing that Rashi says on the verse, anyone else want to comment for, we look at one more thing on this verse that reads in a slightly different direction. Okay. So uh, I'm going to share the screen again. Sorry, I closed it. Where are you? Stop it. Okay. Chizkuni, uh, Larry's favorite. Chizkuni uh, reads it differently, reads the scene differently, which is his um, prerogative. On the phrase of Amarta Elav, so if you look at the verse, right, we, we've been focusing on the, um, on the um, going down to the water, but at some point, God says to him, wait, is this our time? It's the next sentence. That's the next verse. Yeah, so why? Oh, we're still on 15. Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, so we'll hold off. Let's read the next verse first. What was this one? Yeah, okay, next verse. My, my bad. Okay, uh, Stevie. Oh. I was just going to say that, right, what's about to happen is that the water is going to turn to blood, right? So there's... Just putting it out there that all these explanations about why it's by the water are, you know, you could say it's plot necessary, right? So they're making a different choice, but just putting the alternative out there. Right. What, once, we, once we know, and we do know because we know the story, that the first thing that's going to happen is that the Nile is going to be struck, we could say that's the reason why. Right. But it's almost as if the, the Midrash allows itself to be overly curious about a detail in this verse, even though that detail is going to somewhat be resolved Right. What, what's the what's the plot concept in writing that the the gun that comes out in Chekhov's gun, right? The gun that comes out in verse right. and the word nafo serves as that like wink to right. What's the concept if it, the, the the gun that appears in Act One will be fired by Act Three or something like that? Yeah. Back to Chizkuni on this verse. Yes, I opened up a Chizkuni ball of worms. Uh, let me put it up and then I don't. On 15, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing it. I'm sharing it. It's there, on the screen. Two chizkunis, and the first one is basically he reinforces what Rashi had said, right? About and he even he even he even says, at least in the English translation, that Pharaoh went out to the Nile every morning to have his bowel movement. But in the second chizkuni, which is Hineyotze uh, Amaima, at the very end of it, he gives an explanation for why God wanted him to have wanted Moses to have this 
individual encounter, which I think is great, great psychology for, for people to use in their daily lives and in their official lives, is he wanted to have a private, he wanted Moses to have a private talk with Pharaoh when Pharaoh wouldn't feel under pressure to show his ministers that he could stand up to Moses. Hmm. So it ex sort of externalizes that maybe Pharaoh wasn't his own individual agent, but he had to respond in a particular way or else his ministers and everybody else would be embarrassed. And that's why you always conduct negotiations face-to-face -face and alone. Yeah. So that actually ends up co somewhat combining Rashi with Rosemary, right? So there's something, it'll be, it'll be both emasculating for Pharaoh, but also somewhat more effective. Yeah. Let's just look at in the original what Kiskuni says. It's on the screen. So Chizkuni adds in a different reason for why Pharaoh would go down to the Nile. He believed in his own power that if he goes down to the Nile, the Nile will come up to greet him and that it'll, it'll allow the water to overflow. And that's the way that uh, Egypt irrigated its fields, right? Let, not a lot of rain, but overflow of the Nile. So that's that's one reason. Devar another another explanation. What what do normal people do who live by the rivers? They get up in the morning and go down to the river. To wash their eyes in the water and clear all the gunk from the corners of their eyes. That's another reason why he would have gone down. Devar um, uh, he went to take a walk and to hunt fowl. And um, I'm not sure what gvanin means here. Uh, he went to trap them by means of, of something um, like, other, like other kings would do to go hunting, hunting for, for, for duck, whatever. And therefore you're gonna find him free, relaxed, untroubled, and you'll be able to speak to him with less stress than speaking to him when he's kind of protecting his palace. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what's the ancient Chinese um, treatise on warfare? Um, yeah, what was it, Lao Tzu? The art of war, right? Like the the things that we sometimes um, still must learn or forget all the time about how it is that um, that people that people in power should be should be related to and should be spoken to if you want the encounter to emerge successfully, um, and and both to outsmart them and also to set them up for a successful negotiation. Okay, let's first. Yes, Joel. Microphone, 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 microphone. I just want to point out the obvious that the parallel between this scene and the scene back in chapter two, where it says that Is this also, I mean, if the daughter of Paro was going down when she first sees Moses in the, the ark, um, you know, is this also a euphemism? You know, and interesting. Then, and then her, Yeah. So this is the, the one time that they could get her alone. This is the one time that they get him alone. I th when you started saying an obvious parallel to, I thought you were going somewhere else. That's a very interesting connection that I hadn't thought of. I thought you were going to um, uh, Jacob's encounter 
with God by the water, right? As, as it's crossing the, the Yabuk River, because there are these moments where uh, meaningful characters in the Torah, one, Vayivatir Yaakov Levado, Jacob was left by himself, right? By the water, and that's where angel met him. There's something about when you're alone, either you're more vulnerable or you're more open to the encounter. Um, so I thought you were going to connect it to that, but Terry Bad Perot is very interesting, right? And she is by herself. So what was she doing there? Um, maybe she had a lot of gunk in her eye. Okay, let's read verse 16. Uh, whom have we not uh, heard from today? Rachel, do you want to read verse 16 for us? Use the microphone, and you got to speak loud to make it get through your mask. The Amarta Alav Adonai Elohe Ha-Avrim Shalahani Alecha Le Omar Shalach et Ami Ve Yavdini Yavdini Yavduni Yav what? Yavduni Oh, thank you Ve Yavduni Ba Mabar Ve Hine Lo Shemeta Ad Koach Ko Ko Sorry Okay, All right. Uh, you want to give a shot at translating some of that, or reader translation? I'll read the tra- I'll read the translation. Okay. And say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you to say, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. But you have paid no heed until now. Good. Right. Very fair translation. If we go a little bit well, slowly through the phrases, just to give them some texture. Namarta Elav say to him, Adonai Elohei Ha'evrim, so a three-word moniker, yud Vavhei, who is the god of the Evrim, which Uncleus fascinatingly already in the first century translates into Yehuda'e, right? It's a wonderful anachronism because there's, there's, no, there's no sense in which the people who were enslaved in Egypt had a self-identity at all of, of Jews. But when Uncleus is translating into Aramaic, He's translating it into the word used contemporaneously to refer to the descendants of those people, Yehuda. Eh? Okay? It also cl- tells you very clearly that by first century Judea, they thought of themselves as, Jude- as Jews, as Judeans. Shlachani okay? Elecha sent me to you, Lemur, to say, Shalach et Ami, right? This is where we get the, the famous English phrase, let my people go. We've got once again this notion that what's being introduced to Pharaoh is not just set them free so that they can lead you forever, right? Set them free via Avduni Bamidbar. We've seen this before so that they will worship me in the, um, in the wilderness. Another way that the Torah is, I, I has to be intentionally playing with the, the notion of Evid and Avdut, right? They are your Avadim. I want them to be my Avadim. They are serving you as slaves. I want them to serve me as servants, right? And that's why to this day, the notion of, of tefillah is really a synonym for avodah. Avodah in rabbinic Hebrew does not just mean work that you're doing for your job, that would be more melacha. Avodah is sacred work. Behinei lo shamata adko, really interesting phrase. And behold, um, Pharaoh is, Moses is saying to Pharaoh, like, or God is saying that Moses is to say to Pharaoh, lo shamata, you have not heard me, adko. Ad means until ko means 
such, right? So you have not heard me until such. Put that into a, what are some possibilities of putting that into reasonable English? Thus far, any others? Until now. The problem with until now is that even though it seems to make sense in context, ko, kafe, very rarely means now. It's very rarely a temporal, I don't even know what part of, part of speech it is, an adverb, because you're describing a place. It, it, it's, it's, it's rarely talking about time. It's sometimes talking about a thing or a place, right? I want to show you some possible uh, other translations of it. 7.15, right? No, 7.16. Okay. So, uh, Matsuda, thus far, exactly as um, Stevie had said it. JPS, but you have paid no heed until now. So, JPS goes right there. JPS, who knows a little bit of Hebrew and knows that, that ko doesn't often mean now, here it means now. Okay. Um, Everett Fox, thus far, okay, which is better in terms of, I think, in English because co is more, more, more commonly re rendered as a thus than a now. Corin, till now thou wouldst not hear. Where's that guy that we found a couple of times? Um, this guy. Until now. How does Kaplan do it? Hitherto. Heretofore. Um, so far. So far. Give me, the whole, give me the whole sentence. Say to him, God, God, Lord of the Hebrews, has sent me to you with the message, let my people leave and let them worship me in the desert. So far you have not paid attention. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and uh, altar? The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Send off my people that they may worship me in the wilderness. Wait, does, you need a mic. Oh. What he said is that um, Kaplan said, until, So far. So far, and. Alter says, And you shall, uh, you shall say to him, The Lord, God of the Hebrews, The Lord, God of the Hebrews, I'm sorry, I just noticed Alter has God lowercase. The Lord God of the Hebrews sent me to you, saying, Send off my people that they may worship me in the wilderness. And look, you have not heeded me as yet. As yet. Yeah, because altar is sensitive on the, on the lowercase that yud heh vav -Hey is the proper name of God. And the word Elohim, or in, in, in a smichut form, Elohei Ha'ivrim, is just a word to represent the notion of a deity and therefore rendered in English it shouldn't, shouldn't be God. It's just the God of, right? Like if we say don't worship their gods, we not that capital letters mean so much. We wouldn't say their gods capital G. Uh, Rick, uh, hi. Um, uh, two things, um, Larry uh, and I um, uh, were very aware of A. Berman, who was very into the co when he would sing the uh, Haftorah and, and the emphasis of thus saith the Lord Ko with the Yativ, it's, it's, um, it, it's very common in, in the prophet, in, in, in the Haftorah. Um, so I wanted to say that, that there was a Ko looking backwards. I couldn't find it right now. But there was also when Moses uh, defended the uh, slave that was being beaten and he looked Ko Vacho 
that was um, a chapter uh, two, verse 12. Right. And um, in, that, in that context, co represents not time, but place. Right. So keep that in mind as we're about to read the Rashi. Yeah. And you said, look, so he, he looked here. He looked there. Right. Um, yeah. OK, uh, Rachel, let's let's see if we can at least begin this Rashi today. Just say that, the co also. Right. We're, we're reading verse by verse. But if you keep reading, the next word is Koamarshem. Right. So you haven't listened to me thus far. Thus saith the Lord. It's like. Right. So that's even. So now keep that in mind, too. And now let's read the Rashi. Adko. Adhina. 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 Point. So, the, so, so Rashi's first comment is a two-word full sentence. You, reader, are wondering what the word ko means. This is like what he did for tanin. You don't know what the tanin means? It means nachash. You don't know what ko means? I know ko generally does not mean place. Guess what it means here? Place. It means here. So, so the simplest way of reading it is, you, you, um, uh, by the way, here and... I trip myself up because Haina in Hebrew can also mean here as in here in this moment, right? So you're wondering what this means, reader. It means un until this point, until this point temporally. Umidrasho. Umidrasho ad shetishma mimeni mekach mekat bekorot Okay, pause. So here's a Midrash Rashi says, uh, and he's taking it um, from several places. If, if you want to find another reason why the word ko appears here, particularly since ko is not the best word in Hebrew to represent now, it could have been adhena, then it means... Pharaoh is hearing from Moses saying, you have not listened to me, odd until, you're going to hear from me, all of the announcements of the 10 plagues leading up until, what's the, the 10th plague, the, the smiting of the firstborn, how am I going to introduce the slang of the firstborn? With a ko. Look ahead to chapter 11, verse 4. Everyone should have it because it's in the book of Shemot. You just turn ahead in whatever book you are in. We'll get there eventually in Parshat Bo. Beginning of the fourth Aliyah of Parshat Bo. Vayomer Moshe, Moses says, this is after the plague of darkness. Ko, Abe, Amar Adonai. This is what God said. In the middle of the night, I'm going to go out to Egypt and I'm going to smite all the firstborns. Right. So what Rashi says is this ko in our verse respond, relates to that ko there. That's why the word ko is used when it could have been a different word. You're not going to listen. You haven't listened to me. And I know you're not going to listen to me until the very moment I'm going to come out to you and say another ko. And that's the ko that's going to kill your son. And, um, and it's very evocative right? To, to imagine that as a connection, whether or not that was intended by the ko in our verse, that ko does play a part later on. Uh, let me pause there, see if anyone has a final thought or reaction, and then we'll start with this when we meet next week. Anyone? Um, there was uh, just the, the sense when someone mentioned the 
Mexico in, uh, in the plagues, I just thought heavy foreshadowing as a literary device. Absolutely, yeah, a literary and a, and a, and a thematic and, and to reinforce a certain theological certainty that we know everything's gonna happen to Pharaoh and he knows nothing. He's a pawn, we know it, and that raises our, the sense of the dominion of God as, as represented in the Torah and also represents the very moral problems that if we know it's gonna happen, then every, every plague up until then seems to be uh, cruel and unusual punishment. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.